Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Welcome to our final installment of Church in the Wild. You glad to be here? I've got something really special for you next week. We're preparing to have a group called Haiti Arise come in. Now, Pastors Mark and Lisa, have you ever heard of Haiti Arise? Pastors Mark and Lisa, it's a fascinating story. Uh, Pastor Mark was actually a child slave, and he grew up in Haiti. And then a Canadian lady adopted him, and then he went back and took his family back because he couldn't leave his people in the state that they were in. And they're going to come, and they're going to get the whole sermon time next week, and I want you to come out next week. And if you have any, any of your friends who've got... First world problems? Like, Pastor, you don't even know, man. My Wi-Fi was slow. Wi-Fi? You got Wi-Fi. I want you to come out. Here's what I want for you. Here's what I want for you. I want perspective for you. I want you to have perspective on your life here because <laughs> here's the thing. And I want you to, uh, as we're learning how to give to God, and you might be kind of new in giving to God, but as we're learning how to give to God, there's this, this 10% that God wants you to give to him just so that he can sort your life out for you so you don't think you're God. And once he does that and he starts getting a hold of your, your disciplines and your finances and he starts setting you up to be financially secure, but there's this other thing on top of this that Aaron and I next week, we're going to come with a gift ready for Haiti Arise. Because if you feed the poor, it's a way that you love the Lord. And we want to feed the poor. If you know how much they made a day versus how much you made a day, hashtag first world problems. And it's interesting here. I was talking to some of the team last night that, that it's interesting that we sort of think in Canadian culture. You tell me if, if we think about this totally wrong or not. But we think to ourselves, okay, God, if you would just give me a little more, then I would be grateful. Oh, Mom, if you just let me stay up a little bit later, then I'll be grateful. That's called blackmail, y'all. Do you know who the most grateful and thankful being in the world is? God. Do you get more grateful by giving or by receiving? Huh. Think about it. By giving. You want to be a more grateful person? I'm not very thankful. Give more. You'll be more thankful. That's how that works. I'm not receiving love enough. Then love more. Give love. For God so loved the world that he gave. I can't wait till next week. It's going to be incredible. And I want you to bring out your friends to that. Your friends with first world problems, just don't tell them like, hey, I'm inviting you because I've heard about your first world problems. And you just keep telling me about them all the time. I just can't get away from your first world problems. And so give them, give them the gift of perspective. Um, today, I've, I've entitled this sermon, A Study of Sheep, because we did a poll last week amongst all the inhabitants of Airdrie, and that's what you all wanted me to preach about. I just made that up. I'm going to teach you about sheep today. Um, this, this thing sparked in me. I was, I was, uh, we were in here loading a couple weeks ago, and I saw Pastor Aaron in there teaching one of our Sunday school teachers. I think it was Kim. You, you know that if you grew up in Sunday school, you'll, you'll have heard this, but if you didn't, you won't. And so it's this little song that's like, I just want to be a sheep, ba 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 with their little ears. And she was doing this little, like, dance to it. And I came, and she couldn't see me, and so I filmed it and put it on Instagram. And I tell you, you know, if the kids are learning about sheep, why don't we do a study about, about sheep today? Because who here grew up on a sheep farm? For reals? Two of you. Okay, well, the rest of you, this is for you. <laughs> I was surprised. I wasn't thinking anybody would say yes to that, but apparently you said yes to that. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus says in, in Matthew. Matthew, remember Matthew? We talked about Matthew, I think it was last week. This is Matthew's gospel. When he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
When Jesus saw the crowds that he came here to preach to and to set free from the weight of their sin, they were helpless and confused like sheep without a shepherd. So let's do a study of sheep this morning, and this is going to blow your mind if you've never had any interaction with actual sheep. I was a shepherd for about a week, and I'm not going to tell you that story until just in a minute. Here are some fun facts about sheep. Sheep are social creatures, so they're designed to be, listen to this, highly agitated if they lose visual contact with other sheep. You didn't know that. Did you know that? Hmm. Uh, Sheep are a flight animal, which means they're a prey animal. Their natural instinct is to run. They will eventually reform the group and band together for protection. You didn't know. Somebody's going to figure this out about halfway through. Um, Sheep eyesight. Here's an interesting one. They can see from anywhere from 190 degrees to 306 degrees of vision around them. Due to the placement of the eyes in their head, this is super fascinating, they can see all the way around there because they're a prey animal and because they're likely to be eaten if they can't see what's going on immediately around them. Depending on how well they've been sheared around their faces. If they haven't been sheared well and they're unkept around their faces and they're un, un, they have this undisciplined facial, what do we call it? Wool? Fur? I was only a shepherd for a week, so cut me some slack here. Due to that, they can see up to 100, 306 degrees, but as much as 190 to 306 degrees. That's fascinating. But they have poor depth perception because of where their eyes are placed in their head. So, and sheep are reluctant to go where they can't see. So in fact, sheep can see immediately around them better than they can see in front of them. You didn't know. You're not shepherds. Uh, the tracks of sheep. When you see a, a sheep's tracks who's by themselves, unless they're in a group or unless they're following a shepherd, uh, a sheep's tracks are never straight because they're prey animals and they, get this, get this. So a sheep is walking, but it doesn't walk in a straight line. First of all, I can't really see that well with depth perception, but as it's walking in a straight line, it's always checking at six o'clock to see if it's going to get caught by something. See, Jesse's got a smile on his face. He, he might have figured this out. He's always checking at six o'clock. That's why the tracks of sheep kind of weave and wander. Sheep have a high pain tolerance because to show pain in sheep is to show vulnerability, and if you show vulnerability, that's the first one that the predator goes after. They have a high pain tolerance. They won't show pain. Uh, Eating. In a sheep, appetite denotes health, and they're always hungry. You can tell the sheep is unhealthy if it's not eating. I'm really enjoying this. You don't know where this is going. Here's another uh, aspect of sheep, that they they do this thing called flocking, which means when one sheep decides to go somewhere, the rest of the flock usually follows. In uh, in eastern Turkey, I'm trying to get the year right here, in 2006, uh, 1,500 sheep, if I got my numbers right, 1,500 sheep attempted to, because one sheep decided it was a good idea, attempted to cross a 50-foot ravine which you might know, if you're not a shepherd, that that is physically impossible for any sheep anywhere ever. But one decided to go in. 
400 sheep died in the bottom of that ravine, and 1,100 sheep landed on a bunch of pillows <laughs> and survived because of this thing called flocking. Because that's what sheep do. That's a good idea. Let's do it. 50 feet of drop. We could do it. We could make it. <laughs> I was a shepherd for about a week when I was 18. I used to work uh, a farm. Am I allowed to stand on this thing? I'm going to stand on it anyways now. Somebody said I wasn't allowed to. I used to work uh, on a farm, and they had a side business that, that I spent my summers working at. And, uh, and one summer, uh, this farm who had sheep, this farmer and his family decided to go away for vacation. They left me in charge, which is always not a great idea. But they left me in charge of, of a, I don't know, like maybe 40 or 50 sheep. I can't remember how many it was. But, but um, they told me, okay, so the farmer's wife was really the shepherd. And so what she used to do every, every day at, at, at right around like 11 o'clock, I think, in the, uh, right at lunchtime. Let's call it sheep lunchtime if that's a thing. So she would go and she would open the gate. And as soon as they saw the gate open, they would all head out to the same spot in the field and eat there for an hour. And then all she would do to get them back is just open the farm door and the, the field is way out there. And she would just holler or whistle or something like that. And the sheep knew her voice and would all come trotting back. So she showed me how to do this. She's like, it shouldn't be that hard. This is kind of how I do it, and this is what they do. And she showed me, and I'm like, oh, that's painless. Like, she just opens the gate and then eventually closes the gate, and that's it. So, so my, um, my, my experience didn't look like that experience, though, because they were gone. And the sheep didn't care who I was, and I opened the gate, and I don't think any of the sheep looked. And then I yelled some stuff. Maybe one or two of them, like, who this guy? I'm like, stupid sheep. It's lunchtime. Every day is the same. Every single day you go for lunch at this time. You've got to be hungry, like, hey, the gate's open. There's this other guy, but hey, the gate's open. Maybe it's time for lunch. Nothing. So I finally started running in and around, getting all the sheep out. And then finally, one of them decides, like, hey, it's actually lunchtime, right? I'm hungry. That makes sense. We do this every day. And so it starts trotting out to the field. All the other sheep follow. Okay, that was the easy part. An hour later, I come back from the chores, and, and the sheep, um, I yelled from the farmhouse, like the shepherd did. I don't care. Who's this guy? <laughs> Eating. They're full. They're just standing around now. I start walking all the way out there, yelling the whole time. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Then I get out there, and I start like kind of herding the sheep. But you're trying to herd all these sheep by yourself, okay? If, it doesn't work. I'm just yelling and like, stupid sheep. And like kind of running back and forth. and like, come on, stupid sheep, get in there. Oh, every day it's the same, guys. Every single day it's the same. you got to get in there back in the sheepfold because you're all done eating. You can't eat anymore anyway, so come on, stupid sheep. And then the farm dog came out. And I thought to myself, maybe it's a sheep dog. <laughs> the farm dog's name was Tippy, and turns out Tippy was not a sheep dog. <laughs> turns out Tippy didn't have a lot going on in his head. He comes kind of prancing out there. There's a great big farm dog. They're, they're always a mix of something or other, and they were always called Tippy. I don't know why that was, but on the Alberta farms. And so Tippy comes trotting out. I'm like, Tippy, come on. And I got them all worked up because that's what I do. Come on, Tippy, come on. Help me herd these sheep. Help me herd these sheep. And Tippy gets all worked up, runs right through the middle of them, like bouncing and barking, and the sheep just go boom. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I just killed all the sheep. Until one sheep decided it was a good idea to try to get through that barbed wire fence there. 
as fast as it could run. And all the other sheep figured that that was also a good idea. They broke a post off. They hit that fence. They left their jackets behind. They hit that fence and barreled through that fence, every single one of those stupid sheep. And I'm sitting there, and I had this revelation from the Holy Spirit. You don't think that, you don't call us sheep because we're cute. Jesus, when you said that, you weren't thinking it's because I'm cute. It's because I'm really dumb and really fast at being dumb. It would be one thing if I was slow and dumb. Like cows. Cows aren't going to go busting through a barbed wire fence. They will very slowly move through a barbed Fast and dumb. And I thought to myself, oh, a study of sheep. Let's go back through the study of sheep because it's really a study of us. If we have the humility to see it. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse 6, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. All of us, like sheep, panic. When left to ourselves without a shepherd, we panic. We do the wrong thing. We find ourselves in places that we should never be in. All of us, like sheep, have found the prophet is writing this of his own people, and he's writing it of, of you who, who were to come. All of us, we end up getting lost, and we stray away, and we, and we just kind of end up doing our own thing. And this is what we do. We're social creatures which means that we're designed to be highly agitated if we lose visual contact with each other. So this is when the devil gets you upset with somebody in your small group just to get you isolated about something stupid. But the Bible says if you isolate yourself, you seek your own desire. So if you isolate yourself, you're being selfish. But we create a story that makes that make sense. You're designed to do life eyeball to eyeball with people. That's why we have small groups. You're designed to do life with people. I'm afraid to walk around this. What's that, dance, dance revolution? <laughs> the devil will isolate you, and if he can get you to believe this, here, have you ever believed this? Nobody understands what I'm going through. And God in heaven is like, I understand. All we like sheep have gone astray. I got it. I got it. Uh, we're a flight animal, which means we're a prey animal, which means our natural instinct is to run. Now, now men, you might think that you're on top of the food chain. Until your wife is like, um, I need to talk to you tomorrow night about something. Uh, what time? <laughs> eight o'clock. You talk to you at eight o'clock. <laughs> then we do that. Is that a Brooklyn Nine-Nine thing? Like, bloop. I uh, can't tomorrow. I, something just came up. <laughs> bloop. Back <laughs> Our natural instinct is to run away from our lives. Yeah? <laughs> uh, sheep eyesight. Let's, let's say it like this, human eyesight. I know physically it's a little bit different, but emotionally it's not that different. Look, we, ha we have this great propensity to freak out about things that we feel are coming at us in the immediacy of right now, but what we can't see is the future. And we're reluctant to go where we haven't seen, so sometimes we'll go back to what we've been doing even though it's not working just because we're used to it. We'll freak out and panic, and, and, and I'm, I'm doing a, a sermon series after uh, our friends Mark and Lisa come. I'm doing a sermon series called Too Busy Not To. Like after the fall schedule, I think it's a good time. Yeah. Hey, we're too busy not to read our Bibles. We're too busy not to pray. We're too busy not to restructure something. 
We're just too busy not to. This is when the immediacy of today's problems and today's perceived threats freak us out and, and we stop going in a forward direction. Also, our tracks wander because we're so worried about our past catching up with us. And we're so worried that what we've done, and it will catch up with you. This is why we, we, we say it's not enough just to know God. That's just the first thing we want to, you to, to do at Venue Church. Get to know God first. You, you, can't, you can't hate God if you get to know God because God is love. So you hate what your dad said about God, but what your dad said about God wasn't true because God is love and God loves you. And so as soon as you meet him, everything has to shift and change. But the second thing we want you to do is find freedom. See, some people, the third thing is build influence, and the fourth thing is change the world around you. You can't do the building influence and changing your world part until you find freedom so that you're no longer worried about your past catching you. Which is why we have things like small groups, so you can start taking the mask off, and why we have something called Freedom Session. So we go back and we let God deal with all the past so that the past can't catch us anymore and we're not living in the past anymore. We're not the same person anymore. God's redeemed the past. So, so our tracks don't wander. So we can follow. We have a high pain tolerance. Just don't let anybody see you sweat. My dad, uh, girls don't sweat, by the way. My wife told me that. They glow. And we can't get in a bit all sweaty and gross after soccer. Like, get in the shower first. Yuck. I'm glowing. I'm like, no, you're sweating. That's what everybody does. They've been playing soccer. I shouldn't have shared that. That, was, that is going to catch up with me. Uh, we need to talk tomorrow night at 8. <laughs> Bloop. I wish I could. I wish I could. Somebody needs me in the church. Got to go. <laughs> Have a high pain tolerance. And so vulnerability, we don't want anybody to, to see us sweat. And so, and so this is when my dad was... Um, like years ago when they were kind of young in their marriage and my dad uh, fell off of a ladder and rolled into a bunch of bushes uh, when he was painting something up high and the ladder fell over and he rolls into a bunch of bushes and mom runs over there and is like, Richard, are you okay? Are you okay? And all she heard from the bush was, go away. <laughs> Don't let him see a sweat. Eating, appetite denotes health. Which means... If you complain that you don't get fed enough in church, what are you doing the rest of the week? Are you babies? Then feed yourselves. I feed myself. You don't come to my house and spoon feed me food. There's this period of time where you need people to teach you and stuff, but open your Bible for yourself. Open the YouVersion Bible app for yourself. Feed yourself. If all I got was a half an hour or 35 minutes on Sunday morning, I'd be hungry too. My pastor's not feeding me. No, no, no. You've lost your appetite for it. And if you lost your appetite for it, that means you're sick. Because in a sheep, if you're eating well, you're healthy. And if you're eating well as a Christ follower, you'll get healthy. Isn't that good? Appetite denotes, denotes health. So feed yourselves. Don't be like babies who don't want to eat anymore. You feed them, spoon them, bleh. You put it in, bleh. Don't be like that when I'm preaching, man. Receive the word of God. Pull it out of me. Don't be like, prove it to me, scripturally. I don't have to prove the scripture. God wrote the scripture. We should just listen to the scripture, I think. That's for free. And flocking. When one sheep decides to go somewhere, the rest of the flock usually follows. <laughs> With 400 pillows. Um, if you see a ravine, don't try to jump a ravine. You're a sheep. If you see sin, don't try to sin. Just run away. Bible doesn't say resist temptation, it says flee temptation, just run away. 
do like I do. All we like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own way. See, this human condition called pride, it makes us think that we won't have to pay the consequences because we're cute. But sin doesn't make us cute. It makes us ugly. And there's always consequences to pay for that that God does not want you to have to pay over and over and over in your life. He wants to break the chain of that. Now, this is what we need in society today is that we need shepherding to keep our feet on the path and our hearts right. So this is why our tracks wander so much is because we're a society that refuses to be shepherded. So now we go into a classroom and instead of the teacher being in charge, all the students are in charge and I don't like the way that he talked. And I don't feel like, and I don't, she doesn't know what she's doing. I know more about math than she... Our bosses at work, well, who put them in charge? And they, they got in charge because they had more money than you did, and they bought a company. And you want a job and a paycheck. That's how that works. We refuse to be shepherded. Parents are refusing to shepherd their children now because we, we're afraid that we're going to mess them up, but you've already messed them up if you won't shepherd. So I would rather you give your kids some sort of direction than no direction at all, even if it's like a little bit off. Give them something. They're looking to you for something. Don't let them shepherd themselves. They'll, they'll stray away. They'll, they'll, they'll lose sight of God. They'll lose sight of their lives. A 10-year-old can't make decisions that are life decisions. Help them make them. Make them for them while they're younger. And then start coaching them so they can start making their own good decisions. Shepherd people. But see, we need shepherding. We need guidance. We need leadership. If we don't have these things, I need leadership. My heart goes kind of funny. Then I start doing stuff I shouldn't be doing and thinking things I shouldn't be thinking. And then I start thinking that my emotions are actually real and they're just my emotions because I screwed something up. And then I got to create a story to make that make sense. We need shepherding. We need people who are just like pull us back and be like, what are you doing? You don't need to be over there. Quit trying to explain that when you could just get your feet right and your heart right. But we need shepherding as a people. You're, you need shepherding as a, as a people. See, we're doing this now. We're restructuring Venue Church because we're, start, we're growing. So we're kind of past that church planting stage and we're growing. And so where we do the shepherding now is in small groups. And so if you want me to shepherd you personally, that likely won't happen just because I can't. If Jesus had 12 in his small group, I can't have this many people in my small group. It doesn't work. There's not enough time in the day. And then you start feeling left alone. You start, well, what I would say to you is, are you in a small group? That's where our shepherding takes place. And, it's, and eventually I want you to be shepherding people as well because if you have an issue or, or a financial problem, get in the financial freedom small group and then start taking your issues to your small group leaders so they can help shepherd you. Well, does that mean they're in charge? It means that you need shepherding. I would take it from anybody if, if God gave them something for me. That's where God's provision is. And so Jesus only had 12 disciples, but then they had more disciples, and then they eventually had, and that's how the kingdom of God moves forward, where nobody is left out if you're in a small group. If you're in a small group. you got to be in a small group, though. My small group grew by one last week. Arwen's like, hey, our small group grew by one, too, and it's still twice your size. Whatever. Here's a story in the Bible that you're going to identify with one of these characters. You might identify with both of them. It's a story of two sons, and both wandered away from their father's house just in different ways. Luke chapter 15 says to illustrate this point further. Now, he had just been talking about the lost sheep. I opened the series with the story of 99. Jesus says that, you know, my father will leave the 99 and go find that one who's the lost one. That doesn't make sense until you're the lost one. Then it makes a lot of sense. 
And venue church will never really make sense until it's your, your unsaved or, or searching brother or sister sitting beside you. Then it'll start making more sense to you because it's not all about people who are already here. A large part of it is about what people who, who aren't here yet, who still need to find the love of Jesus. And it says, to illustrate that point of that story further, Jesus told them a story of, of a man had two sons or sheep. <laughs> and the, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide the, his wealth between his sons. Now, this in its day, you don't really understand what this, what this is. This in his day, they didn't get the estate until the father was dead. And the younger son is coming and saying, like, you're not dying soon enough. That's what he was saying. So the whole crowd would have just gasped when they heard Jesus say this. What? Who would do that? Well, this guy did. When you want what you want, right? You don't care who you step on to get it. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And I'm preaching to somebody today. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. It's interesting that about the time that his resources ran out, a famine hit the land too. There are times in your life where every, every wilderness you're in or every famine that you're in is not necessarily unusable by God. It might be there for a purpose, to turn your heart back. And it'll feel like the whole world is landing, and I'm preaching to somebody, the whole world is landing on you right now because of your decisions and because of where you find yourself. And then there's a famine in the land, too, and it all lands at once. And this is what happened to this, to this son. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now the, the Jewish crowd would have gasped again like, no, that's the most defiling thing that a Jewish boy could be doing. To feed the pigs. Like, we, we, don't eat, we don't eat pigs because we're Jews. They're unclean animals. Now he's in the most unclean place where you found yourself at some point in your life or you know somebody who's found themselves in the most unclean place where unclean things are being done to them and they're doing because that's just where the, the product of sin leads you. And so the devil promises pleasure, but that only lasts for a little while. And then you end up in this place where you have nothing and there's a famine and you're hungry and all of this uncleanness is happening in your life. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. This is when all the stories that you surrounded yourself with dry up and die out and you know that you're here and you don't know what to do. And you're there all by yourself. You've spent your whole life blaming everybody else for getting you here, but you finally get to this place where you realize, I'm here because of me. I said that to my father. I took what I could take, and I left. This is was this when he finally came to his senses when he finally came to himself. And so we see here that there's really two parts of him. There's, there's the flesh that wants pleasure, but there's this other part that wants something else. Now, he's been starving this other part because his flesh has been so strong, and which one of these wins in the end depends on which one you feed the most. And he's been feeding this, and then there's still only this, this sliver of light from this other person who he really is, who God really called him to be. He said to himself, at home... At, at home, and I need to say this to somebody 
who I think is in this series coming back to church at home. I don't know if you grew up in church. If you didn't grow up in church, this all seems new. We want you to be able to belong and be in a small group and go through NXT, your next steps here. We want you to be able to join a dream team without having to agree with everything that the Bible says. It's a relationship, and it takes time. We're not asking you to believe everything right up front. You don't know God yet. It's okay. We're okay with that. But there's some of you who grew up in church who are no longer into church. And at the beginning, we said that, you know, we'll just leave. We're not leaving God, but we're leaving his body. But that was a lie too, wasn't it? You can't leave the body without leaving the head of the body, who is Jesus. We said, well, we're not throwing God away, but we have problems with the church. And God's like, I have problems with the church, but I'd rather that you stayed and worked it out. (laughs) I'd rather that you stayed and become part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Can I preach? And you landed in a place that you never thought that you would, but here we are. And he comes to his senses and he says to himself, at home or maybe for you today, at church, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. And he says this, I will go home to my father and say, now listen to this statement because it needs to be part of your statement if you want to come home. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Now, here he's prepared a statement that that acknowledges what he's done because that's what we need to do. If you won't acknowledge what you've done, you'll repeat it because you won't actually think that it's a problem. And if you get saved from it right now, you won't have to address it. You cannot, without addressing sin, you cannot put a relationship back together. That's how it works. If there's sin between you and God, sin between you and a brother or sister or a spouse or your child, if there's sin between you, it's caused a separation and a death in that relationship. Without addressing that sin... Without forgiving that sin, it doesn't go away. It just stays there and kills it. And he's prepared this statement. And, and I wondered to myself, or has he finally got tired of sitting in the pig pen and feeling sorry for himself and waiting for God to come there? But see, God doesn't, doesn't dwell in the unclean places. There's something also that he has to do, and he's got to leave the pig pen. On his own two feet, because his own two feet got him there. If you're in freedom session, you're going to have to get out of there on your own two feet because you got into your life on your own two feet. Oh, things happened to you when you were a kid, but then you made a lot of decisions. And now you're an adult. Some of us are worse than the things that were done to us. Now it's time to get up on our own two feet and walk out with the grace of God, with the help of God. But watch how this plays out. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now his father must have a good operation because all he's doing is watching at the end of the road, and he's like, as soon as he gets there, I'm there. And everybody's like, hey, you're going to come help us with, we got servants, I got another son, deal with it, deal with it, church people. But if there's any chance that he's coming back, as soon as he hits my property, I'm back. I'm out there at the end of that property. As soon as he comes home, I'm there. While he was a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. He addresses the sin between them. Absolutely necessary. You have to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and it was my fault. But his father said to his servants, it's like he was just waiting for that. Why? Because he had already been forgiven. He just hadn't received it yet. The minute that he left, he was forgiven. Why? Because that's what God does. Jesus hangs on a cross. He's not waiting for you to deserve forgiveness. You never will. He's already said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, don't I have to wait to forgive somebody until they apologize? Heck no. 
That's the whole point. We forgive as soon as we're hurt. I forgive. It's good. I'm good. But it can't land on you until you ask for it. Until you humble yourself. But the father said to his servants, quick. Like, okay, awesome. Like, that's it. Attention, attention, quick. Bring the finest robe. Put it on. Uh, finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. See, God knows that you're on your way home. He's already preparing a party for you. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son, at the 99th problem, was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf who are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Now, which of these do you identify with? Because this, to me, might be the person who grew up in church but thought that church was all about them. Somehow he's living in the proximity of his father without his father's heart. He's angry. His first response is somebody came in and, this guy, he smells like pigs, man. He's getting the carpet all dirty. And what's he doing? The older brother, he was angry. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you, is what he said. And the father's like, that's how you felt about living in my house? You had everything. You had to work. That's what sons do. We work, but you had everything. He's all mad. He goes on to say, like, you never even gave me a goat to party with my friends. And the father's like, you have hundreds of them. Uh, goats, not friends. <laughs> not if you're mad like this all the time. Well, you throw yourself a party. Everything I have is yours. Everything you see is yours. Verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. 32, we had had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And as I close this message today, I want you to identify with one or the other brother, or maybe it's both and for you today. Maybe you've been in church and you grew up in church, but you kind of ran away. We've got both the bitter brother and, and the sinful brother all in one in somebody today, but there's this statement that the father makes here to the older brother. And let me address the older brother first. The statement that the father makes to him, see, see, the older brother says it like this, your son, I'm mad at your son, because see, has anybody ever hurt you and left you with, you had to do most of the work now because the little brother took off? That's how he's feeling. You can act like, well, I've been going to church and paying the bills all this time. They went out and they did their own thing, and now they come back into this? And the older brother's like, your son, he says, your son, your son. But the father says something very interesting to him that must change his heart. He says, my son, your brother. That's why the church lost its way. Your brother, you forgot that they belong to you too. They, they belong to you too. It's your brother. You have to think about that lost one like they're your brother because they're your brother. They're your sister. They... they they have everything prepared for them in heaven that you have prepared for you. They just haven't received forgiveness yet. Your brother, it's, it's, can I talk to the prodigal for a minute?
You know what I think both of them had was a sickness when all they could think about was themselves. The prodigal's in the pig pen. And for a long time, maybe he's thinking about himself. He's certainly been thinking about himself, and that's what got him there. The older brother's at home working in the fields, and he's thinking about himself. You know the only thing that will get you back into the house of your father and the heart of your father? Finally, the prodigal says, in my father's house. I wonder what my dad's up to. I wonder what my brother's up to. In my father, I wonder what my father is up to. I wonder what God is up to in the world today. And his thoughts turn from him to God. And as his thoughts turn to God, he knows already that all the lies he's been telling himself that he wouldn't be received or forgiven at home were just garbage. He knows deep in his heart that he goes, I'm just going to go and ask for forgiveness because I'll be forgiven right away. And if you know anything about God, you know that you've already been forgiven. And he says to himself, I'm just going to get up and my feet are just going to walk right out of this pig pen because I walked right in here and I'm going to go home and see what happens. And somebody today is just going to come home and see what happens. Father, I'm not worthy. And you're actually going to have to say it. I blew this thing up and it's on me. And I'm sorry, would you please take me back into the house? But for the older brother who sat there and thought the church was about them too, I think that we need to say, Father, forgive me. I was in your house, but I didn't have your heart. And I forgot that he was my brother. Listen to what the scriptures say. I didn't read the last part of Isaiah 53 and 6. It says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. See, the only thing that can buy your heart back when it's gone away from God whether you stayed in church or whether you weren't in church, was the sacrifice of another brother that you didn't hear about. Because when you're in the pig pen, that, that country and that king owns you. But maybe there was another son whose name was Jesus that the father said, would you go and pay the price so that I could get my kids back? Oh, they're going to have to get up and walk out, but, but I need you to pay the price so that it's all legal and it's all good. And that's the love of Jesus reaching out to you th this morning. In this church, in this place, right now. And if you need to give your life back to Christ, I want you to come to the, the care corner after I'm done praying and after we've dismissed everybody else. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. You've already forgiven us. You've already let us go, Father. We just need to come back and say what we need to say. And I pray for the courage in every heart today to do that, Lord. We we sometimes think that we're pursuing you, God, as if that matters. But no, the, the reality of it is you've been the one watching the road. You've been pursuing us because your love is fierce. You are just waiting for us to get back on your property so that we can have all the inheritance that you've been, you've been keeping for us the whole time, that the older brother has been running the whole time and paying for the whole time. Father, I thank you right now, God, that you are restoring somebody's life in Jesus' name. Thank you that you will show us today that your love is so much more fierce than our sins were selfish, God. We thank you that your love and your power does the heavy lifting when we come back to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.